It's one of my favorite quotes. It's it's actually the wallpaper of my desktop, my laptop, and my phone. <laughs> and uh, it's by someone named John Shedd. The quote is, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And I just love that. I think it's it's about, you know, taking the leap and, and really just, you, know, you don't know until you try, right? So you could live in the, the what if world or you could live in the I'm doing it world, right? And it's so much more fun <laughs> when, you're in, when you're in action, when you're in motion, when you're creating versus living in fear and doubt and uncertainty. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today's guest, Corinne, truly exemplifies living boldly in many areas of her life. Years ago, after a devastating breakup, Corinne decided to create her own brand of scotch. Yes, I said scotch. After years of trial and error, ups and downs, Corinne launched Sia Scotch. Sia Scotch is now a recognized label and spirit. It's also an award-winning one. Corinne also shares many wonderful pieces of advice. If you are also interested in maybe becoming an entrepreneur, but her advice isn't just for entrepreneurs. She shares advice about her health journey and her family one, too. Today, I know that each and every listener will walk away with some tools for their tool belt, whether those tools are for your career, your health, or your family journey. So we're going to tackle topics like fasting, exercise, IVF, divorce, adoption, and entrepreneurship. What an episode this is going to be. Now, let's welcome Corinne. Hi, Corinne. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Hi, Beth. It's such a joy and honor to be on. I've been listening to your podcast, and it's been just such an inspiration to me through my, my intermittent fasting journey and in so many other ways. So thank you. Corinne is a really unique guest for us to have in so many ways. As I mentioned in the introduction, is an entrepreneur in the Scotch world, which that is definitely a first for <laughs> for our show. And so today, Corinne is not only going to share about her background, but also her business and her health and her family, which is really the three topics we try to tackle here on Living Your Big Bold Life, health, career, and family. Why don't we just get started? Corinne, why don't you tell the, the listeners a little bit about who you are, and then we can jump right into your exciting entrepreneurship journey. Sure. So my name is Corinne Luna Ostaseski. I'm the founder of Sia Scotch Whiskey, and I am one of the first women in history to create a brand of scotch. So I, uh, I started out my professional career as a creative director and graphic designer. 
I worked for some really large media companies in New York, such as ABC News and Reuters. And then I moved out to Silicon Valley and I worked for quite a few tech startups that are no longer around. <laughs> but my, my true passion has always been scotch. I, I fell in love with the spirit in my mid-20s and I, I quickly became that person. While all my friends were drinking Cosmos and vodka martinis, I was drinking scotch and trying to convince everyone else to do the same. And it wasn't until a breakup in my mid-30s that I was finally inspired to, to take the leap and create a brand of my own. And why was that breakup, do you think, such a, a pivot point for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was unhappy in my career. I'd been doing the same thing for so long. And I found myself more and more designing things online so that people could stare at their phones all day or so that people could just be addicted to their computers, if you will. And it's not what I wanted my legacy to be. What I love about, about whiskey in particular is it's something that you drink slow, right? It's not a party drink. It's not a shot. You just sit down with someone and, and really take your time and, and you share moments in real life. And, and I love that about, about scotch in particular. So I decided it was, it was finally time to, to create one of, of my own. And I think when you go through a breakup, it causes this kind of like a shakeup in your life, like a little like seismic shift. And you start to kind of question everything. Like, am I happy? You know, what, what else can I change. Um, you know, I always, I always laugh at uh, friends go through the, the breakup haircut. <laughs> a lot of girlfriends will like chop their hair off or like dye it a different color. And I did do that. And then I also started a brand of scotch. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. I had all this extra money every week I didn't need for couples counseling anymore. So I would take my, my extra $300 <laughs> and I would go every Friday to my local whiskey shop and I'd buy myself a couple really beautiful bottles. And then next thing you know, I had about 300 bottles in my collection. And I decided to start hosting scotch tasting events and really learn about different brands, what people like, what they didn't like and why. And I kind of moonlighted doing that for a little while while I, while I still worked until it was time to finally take the leap of faith and, and do it full time. And, you know, it's always interesting when someone does have that seismic shift and then they start kind of, you know, some people call it a side hustle or their passion or a hobby. When did you know this was more than just a hobby and a passion, that this was going to be something you wanted to pursue professionally? Yeah, it's funny. I always, I kind of go back to this one whenever friends ask me or as I'm mentoring other female entrepreneurs, it's almost like a, you know, back to Sonia, the, the dating relationship world. It's almost like as if you're dating two people, there comes this time when you're like, you have to, you have to make a choice, right? Like you can't keep dating both <laughs> at the same time. And, and you know exactly when that, that moment comes. And for me, I had been working my full-time job. I was also doing freelance design work at night so that I could save up money to eventually quit my job and pursue my business. And so at the same time, I was gathering up all of the resources, the liquid, the glass, the cork, <laughs> the labels, everything to put the package together. And about three years in, I finally you know, took the leap and, and put in my notice and said, okay, here I go. And I, I stepped off the cliff <laughs> and I never looked back. Yeah, I think right now I'm, I'm probably unemployable. <laughs> I just, I love working for myself and, and running my own business. And I couldn't imagine ever going back to corporate life. I hear sometimes entrepreneurs will say that they felt that their new business had to be making money as a side business first. And then some will say, no, I would have never been able to make money on that side business until I really jumped and left, like you said, being two people. From your experience, what do you believe? Yeah, um, I think that you need to kind of do the math and project what you think your business is going to make and how much you're going to need to get it off the ground. 
and then triple it. <laughs> Whatever you think you're going to need is just, it's not enough. You know, we're, we're very optimistic as people. And, you know, sometimes it takes some time to get that traction and to get those early wins. So I would say to set yourself up as best you could to do that. I mean, for me personally, I had taken a, a loan out against my home. I had saved up money from my business. And then finally, I used a Kickstarter to crowdfund the first production run for Sia. Oh, wow. And do you ever think back to your Kickstarter and be like, oh my gosh, I'm just so grateful for that, those people and, and that opportunity, even though that was probably a small piece of the pie, it still probably helped you get going. It really did. You know, it's so funny because it was in 2012. So if you go back in like your time machine, you think eight years ago, what was crowdfunding? Like nobody knew about it. Friends and family were like, what is this? This website I'm putting money into. But what was so cool about it was that I had, you know, almost 250 people from around the world writing to me saying, hey, where can I buy a bottle of Sia? And all of this was happening before a single drop had even hit US soil. So it was, it was great to kind of get that, that product market fit to get some of the early press, but also just the confidence that I needed of, you know, putting myself out there in, a, in quite a public way. So that brings me to your family. You mentioned them. So when you were making this choice as an entrepreneur and kind of saying, I'm going to do this, how much support did you get? Or did you kind of get a lot of like, uh, Corinne, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You're leaving your great job. I mean, what were the comments? Were they all supportive or were some negative? And if they were negative, how did you overcome that? <laughs> it's so funny. So when I wanted to study graphic design, my mom had no idea what that meant. And so, you know, coming out of high school, she thought that I was going to be selling paintings on the side of the road. <laughs> she was so nervous. <laughs> And it wasn't until, you know, years and years later, she saw some of my graphics on Good Morning America and, and it came together for her. Like, oh, yeah, that's what she does. You can actually make, you know, a solid living as an artist. And there's different expressions of art. And so, you know, when after I established myself and spent 17 years doing my, my previous career to suddenly be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to start all over again in an industry I know nothing about that I know nobody in. <laughs> but I think that she had already developed that that faith in me of saying, you know, what, what she puts her mind to, she can achieve. And, and she was very, very supportive. And this is coming from a woman who doesn't drink at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that my mom had even tried whiskey until I made my own and, and drank it with her. <laughs> well, I love that because, you know, sometimes you hear people that their family is like, oh, I'm completely behind you. It's, it's great. And then some people really will say, no, I had to kind of put quote unquote earplugs in. Because I was getting kind of these looks of like, "Art, right, you're crazy. What are you thinking? You know, <laughs> don't. And sometimes I find even in my career, I've had to listen to those voices. But a lot of times I've had to do the same thing. Even people that really love me, I've had to say, I know you don't quite get it, but you got to trust me. You yeah. got to trust me. <laughs> so tell me now you're, you've left your job. You're trying to get this company off the ground. You've kind of working on the funding. What did that process look like? Was it a lot of, you know, kind of quote unquote cold calling? Was it a lot of door knocking, you know, like literally trying to go person to person saying, hey, I have this idea. What did that look like? 
It was exactly that. It was me feeling my way around the room in a, in the dark, you know, just not knowing what I didn't know, learning new lingo, vocabulary in this industry, processes, just everything. I went from, you know, just a, a very digital world to suddenly being in a world that, that is physical with trucks and warehouses and importing and all kinds of permits necessary. So it was a lot of learning and uh, just asking for a lot of support from people that were very generous with their time and, and giving of their expertise and, you know, finding um, even the people that helped me make the liquid itself. I, I reached out to 80 different distillers, independent bottlers, anybody I'd visited in Scotland, like just trying to figure out how do I do this? And funny enough, it was a set of sisters that opened up the, the door for me. And I realized this because it was the 81st email that I had sent that finally said, yes, I had gotten 80 no's before I finally got someone saying, yes, we can help you. We have uh, connections and I would love to, to be part of this journey with you. And then funny enough, a, a couple of years into the business, they became partners and invested in the business. Wow. And what kept you going during those 80 no's? Was there a phrase that you would repeat to yourself? Was there something that, and did you have days where you're like, maybe this was a bad idea? Like maybe <laughs> I've Maybe I messed up or did you have such a gut feeling, like a positive good gut feeling? Yeah, I think I think every no I kind of used it as a checkpoint, right? Like, do I still want this? And it's sort of like a, you know, look inside yourself and say like, do you want to keep going on this? And if it's yes, then you keep you keep sending the the request, you keep asking for the yes. So yeah, I think that that was definitely a big a big lesson. Yeah, and all the way also just, you know, talking to other entrepreneurs and just learning about about their journeys really helped. Yeah, because most of them you will talk to, they'll all say that you only see the outcome and the ending, but most of us don't know the journey that it took to get there. And everything worth having, you know, is uphill. That's what I, I love that John Maxwell phrase, you know, everything worth having is uphill. And we often just see when someone summits, we don't realize all the work and the training and the time it took to get there. Yeah. You notice a lot that, that women are in particular are more vulnerable and they kind of tell you more about the challenges where it seems as if, you know, what you hear out in the world, you know, in business that everybody's crushing it, right? <laughs> and, you know, it's it's finally, I think that we're at a time where it's it's more accepted to be vulnerable and to show your authenticity for the sake of connection, right? So that people can can relate and to learn from. Because like you said, like you, you hear a lot about these, like the big wins, right? But you want to hear more about like the little wins and the, the falls and how you get up again at every turn. Yeah, because that's inevitable. That really is. And and then keeping your confidence through that, even though it gets hard. You know, I have I have a lot of people where I'll notice that something bad will happen and they lose confidence and then they kind of think, I'm done. You know, this isn't for me. And I just admire that you just kept kept going. Yeah. You're like, I'm gonna do this. This is gonna this is going to happen. So when female entrepreneurs obviously approach you, and even just entrepreneurs in general. They say, Corinne, oh my goodness, your journey is so inspiring. You've been super successful. You went into an arena where, you know, you were the only woman, you know, kind of launching this label. What, what advice do you give them? So I have so many. This could be like an entire podcast. Totally. <laughs> but I have a few that I, I like to share. One is um, to find a community. It's very important to to be able to have a sounding board and and to share experiences. And if you can't find one that exists, I say just go out and create one. So 
I was very fortunate to be part of a group where another female spirits entrepreneur reached out to me and she was starting a community called the Women's Cocktail Collective. And I was one of the founding members and now we're 25 like female founded businesses. So no husband and wife teams, just women that, that set out and said, we're going to start our own spirits brands. And all had kind of the same feeling of where do I begin? How do we help each other? And it's been wonderful because we have non-competing businesses and that we, we align forces, you know, back when we were still doing events, we would sometimes take over a room at, you know, a trade show or a consumer event and have the entire room be female founded spirits brands. And then we'd use each other's products in cocktail recipes. So we'd approach uh, bars and restaurants and say, here's a drink that you can have on your menu that's all female founded spirits. Another I'd say is to just start small in your own backyard and kind of own your backyard. I think, you know, sometimes we, we try to bite off too much, like more than we can chew. And I, I was guilty of this when I, st- I launched my brand. I launched in nine different states and I found myself, you know, flying all over the, the country, getting some sales while I was in the markets. But then when I'd come home, the sales would, would drop. And I realized until I had someone full-time in those markets, it didn't make sense for me to be in those markets. So, you know, I had to, to take that, that kind of humbling decision and say, let me, you know, who is this brand? This brand needs to win in California first. And so I closed down all the states and just focused on my own backyard and went, I think the term is an inch wide and a mile deep and, and really prove your successes in a, in a small space before you can scale and make your mistakes on a, on a small scale. I really like that. Oh, an inch wide, but a mile deep. I'm going to remember that. I do think that's important because especially I find a lot of entrepreneurs are so passionate and so want to do all the things that they can kind of overwhelm themselves. That's what I I see consistently sometimes. And then they have to kind of rein it back in. And that's what I hear from you. Reined it back in. And then we're just that much more successful when you did that. Exactly. And even like on another level, I realized also that my brand wasn't doing as great in bars and restaurants at the time because it was more expensive. And so I had to work on getting my costs down so that it could become a brand that that is successful in bars and restaurants. And in the meantime, just focus on stores. And so, yeah, just kind of pull it back, pull back, pull back until you've got like, okay, this is the area I'm going to focus on. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's hard sometimes because, you know, there's so many shiny things you want to work on or do. And focus is so important, you know, not just in business, but maybe it's in your exercise routine or your relationships or, you know, just your life. It's everything. And it really allows you to kind of, what was the phrase I heard the other day? Simplify to amplify. You know, it really, I like that a lot too. That's kind of that same concept of kind of focusing and simplifying so that you can really focus on what's important. It's so funny. I have these two mantras, like, uh, like, post-it notes (laughs) taped to my computer this year. And they've been kind of like my 2020 North Stars. And one is edit and simplify, kind of like peel back and make things as easy as possible. And then the other has been progress, not perfection. Uh, You know, I love both of those. Those are (laughs) like, you know, because in launching this podcast, I remember I had to repeat progress over perfection all the time, you know, and you learn by doing bad. And then I remember the first episode was going to go out and I knew it was far from perfect, but I had to start, you know, we had to start somewhere. And if I got too hung up on perfection, I, I would have never launched it would have never happened. And you would have probably never started your business. Yeah. You would have never started, you know, the Scotch company that is now so successful. So that brings me to kind of the next topic. And I know that this is kind of, sometimes I have 
people share bold advice at the end, but I would love it since we're kind of closing the business side of this interview a little bit. When an entrepreneur or someone who wants to be an entrepreneur, they approach you, they're in their job, they're not super content. They're kind of Corinne, what would that have been, 10 plus years ago in your graphic design job. They're Corinne and they're saying, Corinne, should I take this leap? What do you think? And what is your response to anyone who's considering being an entrepreneur? Uh, so it's one of my favorite quotes. It's uh, it's actually the the wallpaper of my, my desktop, my laptop, and my phone. <laughs> and uh, it's by someone named John Shedd. The quote is, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And I just love that. I think it's it's about, you know, taking the leap and and really just, you don't know until you try, right? So you could live in the, the what if world or you could live in the I'm doing it world, right? And it's so much more fun <laughs> when, you're in, when you're in action, when you're in motion, when you're creating um, versus living in fear and doubt and uncertainty. And by living with that quote in mind and living that, have you felt like personally and outside of work that you're kind of a more alive person that you feel more passionate about every other area of your life too. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, I, I seem to find myself in some uh, some interests that are maybe more in the male dominated space, like whiskey. I'm also a licensed pilot, and so also during my kind of life shakeup, my midlife mid thirties crisis, if you will, I decided that I wanted to learn how to fly. So I became a a licensed private pilot and just another one of those things where finding yourself in in a world that's a little bit challenging, something unknown and and yeah, just taking taking that leap and doing something that that excites you, that makes you feel alive. Oh, I love that. I do not know that about you. I think that is so cool, but I have found that to be true is that once people really go with that gut, take that leap, find kind of their passion and really what they feel called to do, then all these other opportunities kind of start unfolding and they seem to be the most alive person. I just noticed it. Like they have that pep in their step that anything's possible. I can do this. I can make this work. So I just hear that in your voice and it seems very evident in your journey as well. That's so funny. Uh, there's, um, There's someone that I'd reached out to that had a whiskey brand and so I had called him, you know, I kind of called him my Yoda for a while. And I said, hey, you know, can you give me some advice or tell me some books to read? And he told me to read The Alchemist. And I thought, like, oh, the, it can't, he can't mean like The Alchemist that I read, like, in high school. He must be talking about some, like, chemistry book about whiskey making or something. <laughs> and I said, are you, sh- like, The Alchemist, Alchemist? He said, yeah. And he said, when you, when you want something, all the universe conspires to help you to achieve it. And, you know, it so rings true because all of a sudden, as I said, like, okay, I'm going to do it. All these doors started slowly opening. And yeah, I think that's just, it's setting the direction for your life. And then knowing that, that there's going to be people and opportunities as soon as you're, you say, I'm ready for this. I love that so much. Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? 
by doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now let's get back to our guests. Okay. So Corinne, how have you kept your health a priority and what does that look like? Oh, but I'm not going to lie. 2020 has been a challenge. <laughs> so I think it's funny since, uh, you know, I have a, a spirits brand, you would think that I drink a lot, but I actually don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sober most of the time, especially, you know, doing any kind of events, any, you know, industry, it's, it's a big part of the of the business is that, you know, you, you can't drink while you're working, right? So I, I actually don't drink too much. So that's a big part of my, my health journey. When I do, I make sure it's, you know, a nice glass of whiskey or obviously living in wine country. I love drinking wine as well. And I think like a lot of people during COVID, you know, I found myself drinking a little extra because I wasn't going out or just staying in. And then also, you know, the idea like, well, let's support local restaurants. And the next thing you know, we're eating pizza every night. <laughs> so I decided that it was time for the first time in my adult life, looking at myself and my husband, we said, I think we need to buy a bathroom scale. <laughs> <laughs> So we did. And sure enough, we'd each put on about maybe like 12 to 15 pounds, which was, it was shocking how fast that happened. And Corinne, you are not alone. You are not alone. <laughs> it's like the freshman 15, right? Yeah. yeah so. I've heard that over and over, but keep yeah. going. You're not alone. Oh, thank you. So yeah, I think, you know, it was time to just kind of, you know, take stock. And thankfully, you know, my husband was also very supportive. It's, it's hard when you're with someone that is on the other side and you're kind of going on this health journey alone. So we focus on, okay, well, what can we do? And we're both big fans of intermittent fasting. Since we're not big breakfast people, I'm allergic to dairy and eggs. And I think what's the term my husband uses? He says, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan who eats meat. (laughs) But we found this awesome service called Thistle. And it's a vegan like food delivery service. So for the most part, we're eating, you know, very healthy vegan meals that are prepared, say like 80% of the week. And and then every now and again we'll splurge and just, you know, go to a restaurant and, and have something a little bit more, you know, meat forward. But that's been awesome because it's taken time of grocery shopping, food preparation, cleanup, just kind of out and helped us do the triage that we needed for our families, for our work, for our businesses. I was homeschooling my daughter for six months. So it was also, you know, where, where can I save some time? So that was, that was really wonderful. And then I'm a big fan of this book that I pick up every now and again, and it was time to pick it up, but it's called Pretty Intense. And it's by the race car driver, Danica Patrick. And it's a 90 day program five days a week of exercise and two of the days you're actually working out twice. So you're doing cardio in the morning and then some resistance training in the, in the evening. And, you know, it doesn't require weights or a gym. It's just something you can do at home or wherever you are. It's something I used to use a lot when I was traveling for work, but because now all the gyms were closed, it was a a good time to, to find that workout again. Oh, I love this. First of all, I haven't read that book. Second of all, I love that her kind of focus is so applicable to today's day and age with COVID, which so many of us are, you know, our gyms have been closed. They were open a little bit and then they closed again. And so for many of my friends who are used to going to a gym, it's been really hard. 
It is. Yeah. Especially the social aspect of it too. You know, just seeing people and seeing other people working out helps get you motivated. And we don't have that right now. It's definitely really challenging. That's what's I've probably been the hardest thing for me as someone who I'm competitive and I'm also social. And so those two pieces are really nice to when I find a class I like to go to, I get those things kind of checked off. And I always laugh because I lead a group on Facebook called Motivate, right? And I always tell them, I'm actually not naturally motivated. That's why I like having a class or something. I I am here to the, you know, the community piece helps motivate me and keeps me accountable. But I think that sounds like such a doable program and especially that you were doing it while you were traveling. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like, you know, you could do it in a hotel room. Like it doesn't take up that much space and it's mostly like calisthenics, you know, jumping jacks, squats, leg lifts, lunges, that kind of stuff. So it doesn't doesn't need all of the the equipment. So that one's been pretty fun. And then I discovered just recently a lady on YouTube. The class is called Mad Fit, M-A-D-F-I-T. And that that got me sweating. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, just finding finding the the right exercise program that, you know, it's the right intensity and almost like a personality fit, I think is also really important too when you find a workout routine. Do you work out all different times in the day? Are you kind of a morning person? Are you evening? What usually works for your schedule? I think it just depends on the day. There's definitely times where I wake up with that energy and I'm like, okay, I've got time. I woke up before my daughter, before my husband, I can go sneak in a quick workout. I also like going for you know short runs around the yard here. And yeah, other times it might it might be that I didn't get a chance to do it in the morning. And so I'll do it while my daughter is at school now. So even if it's like 20, 30 minutes that I could squeeze in when I can. At night, I find if I work out, I, I get a little too amped. And so it's harder for me to sleep. That's exactly me. What's your prime time? When when do you find your, your sweet spot for working out? So two times. I find either first thing in the morning because then it gets it done. Because the longer the day goes, even though I don't love how I feel sometimes first thing in the morning... I do find that it gets it done and I'm grateful I did it. The other sweet spot for me that doesn't always work is kind of like a, like a midday, like early afternoon, which seems so weird, but I find that that's a time where I kind of need a break from the day. It's a good thinking time. And so when I was working in my office, now I'm working from home right now, I would go like I'd take a late lunch break and do like a workout then. And that just really worked well. But lately, I really have to get it done in the morning. And if I don't, I just, it's really hard for me to get it done. I struggle making it because I'll say, oh, I'm going to go. Oh, I'm going to go. And I never go. So you and your husband intermittent fast, when do you typically kind of open your eating window? And when do you typically close it? Or does it vary a lot? It varies tremendously day to day, but I'd say on average, uh, lunch is when I open my window, you know, it might be 1 p.m. Sometimes if I could really push it two o'clock and then there's other days where I just like, I need something at noon, <laughs> you know, so it just really listen to my body because, uh, you know, I start to get kind of like the mental fog at some point. And so that's when I say like, okay, we might start a little bit earlier today. And usually like we finish eating about like seven, seven o'clock. So yeah, it just depends on the day. I'm finding that for intermittent fasting to me, no matter who, what they eat, what their background is, what their lifestyle is, it's so you can implement it and it doesn't cost anything to implement. And it's just this amazing tool to give our digestive system a break. It's been such a great thing. And as a busy person, haven't you found it simplifies things too? 
It's amazing. It's been just such a gift listening to your podcast and being on the Facebook group and just seeing how how it works for everyone. It's exactly what you said about like the motivation. Sometimes when you're you're just kind of like in a slump and you read someone else's story, it kind of keeps you going. And yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's a time saver too, right? It's just sort of you know I'll just have a black coffee in the morning and that's enough. And sometimes you just get in the groove of doing something for work or in a different project and you lose that idea of like that you're hungry or that you need to, to have breakfast. I will. And I remember, you know, I tell this story a lot when I would be flying out for a work function, I'd be driving for a meeting. And there, before I found fasting, I would always think, oh no, I got to get something or, oh, I'm going to, I got to have my snacks or, oh, I've got to, I've got to, I didn't eat breakfast. I better stop or I better grab this. And it was like this to-do item. And it's been so freeing to be like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even walking to the airport, I found that was a really weird, I realized what a trigger the airport was. Like the yeah, because you think like I'm gonna starve. What? I'm gonna be on this plane for three hours. How am I gonna make it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then you know, of course, the airport options are not not super healthy anyway. So yeah, you end up eating something horrible that ends up giving you some kind of like a, a crash energetically. Totally, and it's totally not worth it. It didn't really satisfy you, but you did it, and you know, it's just it's so true. I love, I love when people say, you know, is this really worth it? Is this window worthy? Some people say that. Well, Corinne, I'd love to now jump topics to family. Tell us a little bit about your family. Now, not only your current immediate family, but now your your parents were Cuban immigrants, correct? Yeah, they came over, you know, fleeing communism in, you know, the 50s and 60s from the Castro regime and started a new life in Miami with nothing. So, yeah, it's, it's a very typical, you know, immigrant story. And for me, that, that always has a big impact on making sure that their sacrifice was not for, for nothing, right? So that to make sure that they wanted a better life for their, for their kids and to kind of pay it forward. So they've, they've taught me a lot about hard work and, and diligence and sacrifice, and they're just amazing. Oh, well, I can see how those characteristics have, have been so ingrained in you. And we learned about kind of your, your devastating breakup. It catapulted you to this turning point. Now you're married. You have a little girl. Tell us about your family today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny. Like friends that have gone through through divorce, I'm like, you know, sometimes it's just like the best thing that possibly could have happened to you. It frees you up for a whole new life and one of happiness, right? Like happy marriages don't end in divorce. So when you end up, you know, where I was, it's just kind of starting fresh. It was really fun for me to, to date again and, and to really like think like, you know, I don't need a partner. And then, you know, as life would have it, <laughs> I fell in love and I fell in love really hard. And my husband and I, we've been together now 10 years, married eight. And yeah, he's the love of my life. We, we had, I, I would call it maybe the, the seven year itch. <laughs> and it, it really is a thing. I've been talking to some friends about this, that like maybe your body is regenerated every seven years, or there's just something that happens where you start to kind of question things. And we went through a little bit of some struggles and we found a program called the Gottman Institute and it completely changed our, our marriage and our relationship. And, and we're more in love than ever. So I'm very happy right now. And maybe who knows, in another 
another seven years, we might have to, to redo the program again. And so this is kind of funny. I didn't think I wanted kids. And even in my early 20s, I went so far as to see if I could get my tubes tied and like find a way that I wouldn't get pregnant. And then when I met my husband, I, I was like, absolutely, I want to have I want to have children with him. And we, you know, again, like we're both kind of type A personalities. We're like, all right, let's make a baby. And then, you know, the universe had a different plan. So we we struggled. We went through um, IUI. We went through fertility treatments, um, all kinds of, you know, anything you name it. Like whatever people told me to do, I would try it, like teas, acupuncture, acupuncture, <laughs> Chinese herbs, like just anything. And um, And then we did IVF finally kind of at the end of a long road when we were given a 6% chance of having a baby naturally. I had a blocked tube and my husband had uh, his own fertility issues as well. So we ended up choosing IVF and it worked (laughs) Um, on the first go, which was awesome. So we have a a five-year-old daughter now. She's incredible. And she's, you know, the light, the light in our lives. And then we wanted to, to have a second child. So we had one one embryo left. And so we did that and it took, that was, I think a year after our daughter was born. And then I ended up having a miscarriage and I had a really hard time with the hormones that they give you during the IVF um, process. And I decided that if it didn't take, I didn't want to go through the process again. I know for some people they're unaffected by the hormones. So they have a very easier, like a much easier time with it, but I, I definitely struggled with it. I was, you know, crying too much and it's just not the way I wanted to live my life. And so we said, well, we're committed to having a big family and but we're not attached to how it happens, right? So commitment and attachment and that distinction. And so we said, well, let's explore other options. And so right now we're we're on two different kind of concurrent paths. We became certified foster parents. So we're open right now. We're, I guess, in the process of accepting possible placements for a foster child that might have the ability to be adopted. And then we're also pursuing an international adoption at the same time and just kind of seeing whichever one comes first. Oh, I just love that. And it's so interesting how so many things we thought we didn't want, right? Like we think, oh, we we would never want this. And, you know, you never wanted kids. And now you're you're like, I love my daughter. I want more kids and I love my husband. And it's just funny how how life changes. And I feel like so many of us, I mean, I laugh when I tell people I have six kids, Corinne. It's almost like, <laughs> I, I, I have six? What? I do? It's, it's so beautiful. I want a, a huge, giant family like yours. I think, you know, the more the merrier, right? And it was so beautiful when I asked you, like, how do you manage it? And you said, well, the older ones take care of the younger ones. And that that really it was like an unlock for me where I thought like, it's, it's wonderful. And I see that with my daughter, like she would be a great big sister and she's absolutely ready for that, that responsibility and for that joy. So I'm, I'm so happy for you and for your family. And yeah, it's, it's very inspiring. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, well, it's the, it's the most beautiful gift because what happens is, is you, you become more and more aware of your own imperfection as a parent and your own shortcomings. And it's like, I was given children that just fill those 
those holes, you know, and and it's just amazing. (laughs) And, you know, like my oldest daughter, she's very sensitive and very like, she's a natural caregiver. And I work with men all day. I'm more like a, you know, toughen up buttercup. Let's go. You know, (laughs) it's like, she just fills that. It's just such a beautiful thing to watch. And I literally don't know I sometimes say that our sixth child is really not my child. It's our child. (laughs) My kids kids help so much and it has been such a beautiful thing. And I want to go back to your comment on divorce. So my parents divorced when I was quite young. And whenever anyone's going through a divorce, I always tell them that I had a lot of beauty come out of this divorce. And I was, I was the only child between the two of them. I have amazing step parents. I have family I would have never had. I have sisters and a brother and another brother. I mean, it's just, if you're going through a tough time, someone listening today, if you're, you're thinking your life is over because you're going through a divorce or our relationship is ending, I think Corinne's story. And I can tell you that my story can tell you that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's sometimes brighter than you can ever could imagine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This has been so inspiring. I just feel like I could ask you all the things about work and family and health. And I I love that everything you've shared. Before we leave your family situation, during this process, that's probably been a lot of work to do all the adoption paperwork, all the foster paperwork, everything. Similar to your entrepreneurship journey, it probably hasn't been all easy is it similar where you just know that this is what you want and what you are called to do so you all the work is worth it? What has kept you going when it seemed a little bit overwhelming? I guess it's not so much overwhelming as there's a lot of bureaucracy that I feel is unnecessary paperwork. So yeah, there's there's definitely some some issues that I've found in the system that in some ways maybe there's going to be a new project for me here of you know how can I help improve this to make it easier for for other families. For example, when you want to adopt uh, in the county where I live in, you can't adopt from other neighboring counties, so you can only have one process going at a time. And then if you want to switch from you know doing it through the county or private, you have to go through all the coursework again, thirty hours of classes home studies, psychosocial visits, you know, gathering up all of your information and putting it into another system. So that's not, it's not very streamlined or easy to do. But in terms of the emotional tie to it, it doesn't seem to phase me. It's just something that, you know, I know that it's just going to take time. And, you know, it took us almost, you know, whatever it was, three years to, to finally get pregnant with our own daughter. And so, you know, these, these things, sometimes they take longer than we think. And that's, that's just kind of where I've been putting this when when things get frustrating or seem to be taking a long lot longer than than I'd like them to I, I remind myself that it took it took a journey to to get to to our daughter I think that that peace that you have is ever so clear and I'm so glad that you may be a change maker in that world because as my sister as you know she's in the Los Angeles area and is an adoptive mom a foster mom and has a biological child as well and she just shares a lot of how frustrating some of the bureaucracy can be and that it's really not always in the in what could be best for that child or or for those parents that are waiting that there's a lot of kids just stuck in this i don't know if purgatory is the right word but i think that there's there's so much hope for the future to improve because there's a lot of room for improvement 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it was it was inspiring to hear to hear your sister in law on, on one of your interviews. Uh, it was definitely you know part of the the mosaic that I've put together in gathering stories and experiences, and and it just feels right. You know, this is this is definitely an area of impact. And the first time I, I went to one of the the training sessions, uh, my husband and I had to take turns because we had to take turns taking care of our daughter. So I came out from the first one and I was crying <laughs> and he said, Oh no, you don't want to do this. Are you okay? And I said, no, no, no. They said that we could only adopt six. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I was like, my heart was just like blasted open. Like I just want to take care of everybody and help ever as many of these, these kiddos as I, as I can. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm going to have my sister back because she always says, like, I could have missed this. I could have missed this. And that's her call to everybody who might be open to adoption or foster care is that, yes, there is a lot of hard. There is a lot of heartbreak. But the beauty that is there is so much more and covers that. And and I just love that. I could have missed this bet. I could have. I love that. Well, Corinne, this has been such a beautiful and inspiring interview. Thank you for your time today. And I know I already asked you your kind of your bold advice about entrepreneurship, but before we end today, is there anything else you'd like to share, whether on family, career, or health with the listeners as we close? One of the big things for me in, in my life is just to pay it forward in any aspect of your life, right? I know that it's challenging times and that, you know, lots of people are hurting. And so for me personally, mine is, you know, to give back to help other female entrepreneurs because it is so challenging as a woman to start a business, to run a business, to raise money. So there's just a lot of amazing resources and groups out there to support and just to find one that resonates for you. Because I think, and what happened for me was with my business, just so many doors being open to me and everybody just taking my call and listening and giving me advice and support. It became just um, that much more important for me to to be able to do that for, for other women. And so, yeah, I just wanted to, to share that, that there's just always an opportunity in your life to, to pay it forward. Oh, I love that. And I hope we could all, after listening to Corinne's words today, are inspired to pay it forward. And Corinne, if they want to learn more about Sia Scotch, where is the best way to find you or learn more about your journey? Uh, sure. So it's uh, S-I-A-S-C-O-T-C-H.com, Sia Scotch, as well as on Instagram. And there's some information on the about page uh, has a brand video about Sia, a little bit about the journey and some of the um, the female entrepreneurship organizations that we support. Oh, well, Corinne, I wish you all the best in your journey and thank you for being here today. Thank you, Beth. It's been such a joy. I uh, I just so appreciate the, the work that you do in, in the world and, and for the light and the love that you share with us all. So thank you for what you do. Bless you, my friend. Take care. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.